The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, we are in a series called Freed 2, and we have been looking at the fact that um, the gospel teaches us that not only are we freed from something, but that God frees us to a way of living. And so, so far, we've looked at that, the fact we are free to live, particularly by faith. Last week, we looked at freed to love, and today is everybody's favorite topic, we are freed to rest. Something that we do really, really well as a culture, not. <laughs> um, before COVID, we were living at frantic paces. Uh, before COVID, we were already weary and tired, and we're, we're trying to pay for things and you know, do all the stuff that we do as, as a culture and society. And COVID comes along, and it's actually made us more weary. It's actually made us more tired. Things have become more difficult. And what I want to look at today is the fact that in the gospel, in the personal work of Jesus, God wants you to experience restfulness, not restlessness. That God wants you to experience a sense of being able to be still in your soul, in your heart and in your mind, despite the circumstances, despite the context and culture in which we live. God wants us to learn to live a different way. A number of years ago, I bought my son a remote control car that could go up walls and on ceilings. It was pretty amazing. And we had, uh, the family was coming over and so I was encouraging Fletch, hey, when the family come over, why don't you show grandma, granddad, all the cousins, everything, like how this thing can go up walls because then that would make me look really awesome as a dad. Right, so anyway, so we, we go up the wall and then we, we come across the ceiling and it stalls right above the fan that's going. And it stalled for like, I don't know, it felt like about five seconds, but it's probably like half a second. We just kind of go, and then what happened? It dropped, hit the fan, went into a thousand pieces, and everyone felt like they'd been rained on. Um, and and what, what I'd failed to, to make sure is that we had charged the battery. And so I had this bright idea that this would be a really good moment for him. He'd look super cool. And in fact, it wrecked his brand new gift that we'd given him. And I felt terrible. But that's often how we live. We go, 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 go. And then we die. We get sick. I don't mean in a literal sense. We, we, we stop. We, we break. We fall. And often we do shatter. Some of you know a little bit about my breakdown in 2014. Not everything in my breakdown was about the pace in which I was living, but a great amount of it was not knowing how to, to live a life at a certain pace which was sustainable. And I broke. And I fractured. And I couldn't, couldn't work for nearly a year. And there was a sense in which I was living a way that God had not called me to live or designed me to live. And I had to learn a new way of how to live. And I believe Jesus wants to give us something this morning that would help us to, to take stock of our lives and to think about the way in which we live. Because culture is going to keep telling you how you should live, but it keeps not working. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. It doesn't lead to good, healthy relationships. It doesn't lead to good mental, emotional health. It doesn't lead to good spiritual health. In fact, I believe it leads to the opposite. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I believe that the Bible wants us to learn two ways of rest. One is a physiological rest. And the other is a spiritual rest. But here's what I've come to learn, that if we don't actually understand the spiritual rest, we'll never rest physiologically. Because we'll keep doing what culture says we are to do. We're going to keep running, we're going to keep working, keep doing. And God wants us to experience deep spiritual rest and good, healthy, physical, mental, emotional rest. In the beginning of the Bible, we, we see God. God is the supreme being and he, every single day for six days is working. And I don't want to get into a literal six, seven day creation. Let's just leave it as whatever, right? There's this picture, there's God. And at the end of every day, he works one day and then he celebrates. He works and then he celebrates. He works and there's this picture that God, when he works, he works with joy. He loves his job. He enjoys what he does. And every day he crafts. He molds, he shapes, he speaks, and he turns chaos into absolute beauty. And then we see on the seventh day that God rests. So chapter 2, verse 1 says, this is of Genesis, says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work, that he'd done in creation. Now, does God rest because God is tired? (laughs) Like when you think about God, he is this supreme, majestic, transcendent being who just speaks everything into being, yet there's a sense in which he still rests. And to rest means simply to cease, to stop working, and to be satisfied with all that we have. And then as humans, we see this also in the book of Genesis 1 and 2. Humans are initially made, it says in Genesis 1.26, were made in the image of God. So it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's this great picture of the fact that we have this, this incredible, dignified, worth, value, because we're made in the image of God. There's incredible potential as human beings. We can do many things. But then in chapter 2, we're also reminded... That we're not simply made in the image of God, but we're also made from dust. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I believe that the author of Genesis wants to go, hey, there's incredible dignity, value, worth of just being human because we are made in the image of God. Great potential, but we also need to know that we are also made from dust, that we are not God. That we are limited beings. And so we are like these dustly image bearers. And there's this tension that the author wants to say. Great value, great dignity, great worth, great potential. Limited. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We need as a culture to be reminded that we are also dustly, lowly, limited beings. 
Our culture loves to talk about the potential, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There is great potential in the human, in the human person. We are, we are able to do incredible things. We're able to create music and draw and do art and speak and do incredible things. There's lots of scientific discoveries. There's so many great things that the, the potential of the human person has. But our culture is drifting away from being reminded, though, that we are human. And there is a limit to the to the human person, because whilst we are like God in His image, we remain unlike Him in the fact that we are created, that we are mortal, breakable, finite, limited beings. And so as dustly image bearers, we are to work like God. God calls the first parents, Adam and Eve, says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over every living thing that moves. There's this, there's this call to work. Part of their working is to be uh, image-bearing. I don't know if you've ever seen that comedian who talks about making persons. Have you made persons yet? It's quite funny. It's the idea that you create more image-bearers. That's a wonderful thing. Cultivate the garden. Create like God does. Take things and make more things. But he also says, do it in joy. He blesses them. But then we see that sin comes into the world. And sin breaks this experience of, of childbearing and creating more image bearers. Work, subduing the ground becomes difficult. And so now our experience as humans is often that life that we live controls us and defines us. We live under constant stress and worry. We work at work and we work at home. Can I get an amen? <laughs> We, we never finish. We're, we're afraid of falling behind in life. We, we feel like we have to study that degree so that we can get that job, so that we can get that money, so that we can get that spouse, so that we can buy that house, so that we can have those children. And culture saying, this is how we have to live. And if we don't have those things at a particular time, we feel the tension. Well, we should have had this by now. We should have that job by now. We should have that degree by now. We should have that family by now. And we feel this pressure. And so life doesn't just control us and defines us. It starts to frustrate us and tide us. We design things that don't work. We build things that don't last. We teach things that don't stick. We serve people who aren't satisfied. We enter into relationships that break and don't work the way they should. We give all of our time, all of our energy to all of these different things and we no longer just enjoy life, we also have to learn how to endure it. And God is saying, we need to work, I've made you to work. But you need to image me as well in resting from work. So we image God and work like God, but we rest like God. And so we see in Exodus 20, which we've just gone through, that, that God comes to them and says, hey, one of the, the big, one of the big pieces of this experience of moving into this promised land is, I want to show you that you don't have to live like culture. All the people around you, I want you to have a day where you cease. He is such an Australian God. He gives us a day off. And every Aussie's like, I can worship that God. This is great. Labor Day, once a week, yes. So God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourners. He's like, no one in the community should be working. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. 
This is a sense of like rhythm into your life, rest. Now, if I can confess, this is not something I do well. I feel like some of this series I will model well and I can get up here and stand up here with, with conviction of like, I do that well. This is one that I'm still learning how to do, to cease from work, cease from creating and cease from doing and be content and satisfied with what has been done. I don't know how you feel, but I find it hard to switch off. I find it hard how to stop thinking. I'm always thinking about what's yet to be done. I go through my calendar and it's like, great, there's still more to be done. My family and I, we like to go camping. Uh, in, in the early years, we, we would have a trailer and put all the tents in. Now we've got a caravan. It's great fun. But in, when you get a caravan, you had to, you had to work out, well, what, what towing capacity do we have? And so for a lot of years, we were borrowing other people's four-wheel drives because we didn't have a car that had the towing capacity to be able to take the caravan. This is much of life. There, there is a limit to what you and I can carry. You can carry so much, you need to learn what is your load. And I can tell you, we are living as a culture at a pace where we are living fast, busy, full lives, and we are carrying things that are too much for us to carry, and people all over the world are breaking. And God wants to say, that's not the life I've designed for you. I want you to move from restlessness and hurry and busyness towards restfulness. And so like God, we had a Sabbath. We had to cease from work. But unlike God, we need to cease because we get tired. We become weary. And what becomes interesting as you follow the sort of the narrative around this Sabbath is the Sabbath isn't just ceasing from work. The Sabbath becomes cease from one kind of work and enter into another kind. And that kind of work is worship. Cease from you doing all the doing, you do all the working, you running all your calendars, you running all your emails, you running all the, all the meetings, and stop and come over here and now look to God, who is the God who is in control of all things, and be reminded that He has done and continues to do all of the heavy lifting. And so the Sabbath becomes this resting of the body, this resting of the mind, in order that the soul would be blessed. That your immaterial, the, the internal you, would, would find a reconnection with the transcendent and be fueled to now go out and live. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. Rest is a deep satisfaction and contentment in life that comes from understanding of who God is and what He has done and continues to do. So, how do we rest? Well, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, all who work hard, all who are heavy laden, burdened, exhausted, tired, weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want to give you three things today that I want to encourage you to think through. And not just sit here and, and go, yeah, that's great, good day, let's go out. No, no, think it through. Consider the state of your life. Consider the, the, the state of, of where you're at. Number one, 
recalibrate. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. This means that this is an invitation for those who are aware that they need it. See, for me, I just kept going and going and going and going and going. My wife was telling me, hey, think this through. Don't do that. Maybe think, how about that? And I was just like, I've got this. Go, 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 go. So I was, I was working, full-time job. I was out five nights a week with church, and I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And as I'm going, I'm not dealing with anything in my soul because I don't have any time to stop and recalibrate it. So my devotional time goes out the window because I don't have time for that. I've only got enough time to write a sermon, so I just write a sermon. But now I'm spending time in the book and spending time supposedly with the God of the book without actually spending time with him. This just became a thing to do for me. And so my personal walk with God just goes out the window and I just start doing religious activity, which looks good, sounds good, but eventually life caught up with me. And my limited mental, emotional capacity was shattered. And now when I talk with, with pastors, I'm very sensitive to the fact that they're weary and they're tired and I keep asking them, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why are you living like that? Why do you think you have to do all of those things? Who told you to do that? Why? And so Jesus comes to a bunch of weary, weighed down, burdened people and says, you don't have to live like that. Ann Peterson in her BuzzFeed article, How, millennial, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation, said this, said, Burnout isn't a place to visit and come back from. It's our permanent residence. In other words, culturally, this is just how we live. It's just on all the time. It's go all the time. And our culture is shaping us to live this way. And I'm not sure it's how God has designed us to live. So let me throw up a few things on the screen for you to think through whether this potentially could be where you're at. Think through some of these things and whether these are things that you are potentially experiencing in your own personal life. And in a restlessness with an underlying sense of anxiety. Is that you? Deep, emotionally weary, which leads to obsessive or scattered thinking. Irritability, agitation. Defensiveness, argumentative, an angry spirit, a waning of relational intimacy, of building relationships with people that go deep. I'm not anti-social media, but social media is creating a, a culture of loneliness because nobody's going deep relationally. There's a thousand connections all day long and none of them matter. A growing dependence on substances Technological escapism or the fantasy world, works of the flesh rather than the fruit of the spirit, a numbness of the soul. People become tedious. People become tasks for a lot of pastors. Just tick a box, get it done, great. It's just a task rather than a person. Feelings of boredom, melancholy, depression, a desire to escape. My family and I, as I said, we go camping and there, there is this thing that happens at the end of the camping trip that we finish 
that I go, I can't wait for 365 days. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be back there again. And, uh, and sometimes my mind's like, I just want to be back there. What is there? There is where there is nothing. There is me, my kids, my wife, friends, coffee, views. Nothing else exists. And it is wonderful. But I can often live the rest of the year wanting to escape. <laughs> Are you like that? Do you think about, I just can't wait till fill in the blank. And you live thinking about it. Often we pretend like our spiritual practices are at best random, replaced by functional religiosity. We just go through the motions. Or, is, or do you experience an inability to think, be quiet, be still? Let me ask you this question. How often do you say you don't have time to pray? How often do you say you don't have time to pick up the book, read it, talk to God? How often do we do that? My guess is we do that often because we're busy and we're doing the next thing. I've got this other thing to do. And God wants to say, hey, you need to recalibrate. Think about it. Where are you at? How are you going? How is your health? And if the way that you are living your life right now is filled with these things, filled with anxiety, filled with mild depression, high levels of stress, constant tiredness and boredom or exhaustion, then maybe we need to learn a new way of living our lives. Because I'm not sure that's how the human was designed to live. So number two is relearn. Notice that Jesus said in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says that a part of experiencing rest is taking on his yoke and learning from him. The idea of a yoke, it's a weird concept for us modern people, us more sort of urban, suburban people. Um, I'm guessing not many of us have oxen uh, with yokes on right now, but it would be a, a beam that would go across with two rings and you'd have one stronger, more mature oxen and then you'd have a smaller one that would be with that, and they would, they would plow the fields together. And the idea of putting them together was that, that the young one, the immature one, the weak one, won't be able to plow straight. It doesn't know how to do that. It's going to be scatterbrained. It's going to go over here, going to go over there. But when it's with the strong one, when it's with the mature one, it can't move in budget because the strong one's like, I know where I'm going. I know the way. This is the way. And so this guy's going like this for ages. And then over time, it learns, oh, you just go straight. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, let me teach you the way. Come connect to me and I will show you how to live. I will show you how to live your life. And often we, we talk about Jesus not simply being our example, but he is the one who, yes, died on the cross for our sins. He is our substitute. He is all of the things that we would say as a church we believe. But we also have to say he is our example, though. He is wanting to come and show us how to live our life. And when we think about a yoke being offered to weary and burdened people, it seems like the last thing we need. Like when I'm tired, I don't need a beam. I need a mattress. I need a nap. Can I get an amen on the nappers in the room? Amen. Oh, great. I've got a few. Hear that, babe? There was lots of them. It's okay to nap. And so for a, in a Jewish context, the yoke was used as, as a metaphor for, for come and learn the teaching of the rabbi. 
And so you had rabbis whose yoke was heavy. And it weighed people down. And Jesus says, no, 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 come, because my yoke is easy. My yoke is light. It is a sense of a yoke is the teaching and the way of the rabbi. And so Jesus' way wedded to Jesus' truth is what brings about Jesus' life, says Eugene Peterson. And so essentially a, a disciple would come and follow their rabbi. They would be with the rabbi. They would literally leave their home and start to spend every single day with a rabbi. And they would learn the truth. They would learn the teaching. They would learn the interpretation. But they'd also learn how they live. And the rabbi would say, come, follow me, model me, literally walk behind me and see how I do everything. And Jesus says to these weary, burdened people, come and learn my truths, come and learn my interpretation of the Old Testament and come and learn my way of living. Frederick Dale Brunner says, but Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give to tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop us in, a, in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. So we need to look at Jesus. How does Jesus live? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is Jesus ever in a hurry? Frustratingly, no. He's never in a rush. Jairus comes and says, can you heal my daughter? Sure. Because she's nearly dead. No worries, I'll be there. And as we're walking along, another lady comes who needs a miracle. And then Jesus is like, well, let's just work out who actually touched me. Let's, let's kind of play a little, you know, it's like, and you could just see Jairus' face like, hey, can you hurry? And Jesus is like, yeah, I don't hurry. Mary Martha's brother, Lazarus. Hey, he's sick. Yeah, he's probably going to die. Great. That's encouraging. I'll get there in like, I don't know, four days. He gets there. He's taking his time. He's dying, and by the time he gets there, he's dead. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your slow, phlegmatic walk. Jesus takes 30 years to preach his first sermon. And then after his first sermon, he's like, you know what? I need 40 days to go into the wilderness and just pray with my father. Jesus is never hurried. He's never restless. Does Jesus have responsibilities? <laughs> yep. Jesus has a ministry that's going gangbusters. He's got people from all over coming to see him. At times when he's trying to get a rest, he's got 5,000 men plus the wives and the children just following him. Does he have pressure? Does he have opposition? He's got people who want to kill him. Yet somehow, some way, Jesus seems to not even be restless. Why? Because everything Jesus does is connected to his Father. And he has so much trust. And I know we're sitting here going, yeah, but Jesus is the Son of God. I know that. 
but he is also modeling to us what it looks like to be human. We cannot lose the humanness of Jesus. Jesus spends time with his Father. Jesus goes and Sabbaths every single week. Every week for his whole life, he Sabbaths. He has times of silence and solitude. Guys, I'm going away. Don't talk to me. Don't follow me. I'm just going to be. And then he comes back and they're like, and he's like, you, you don't understand. I've got food that you don't understand. I've just been with my dad. And you know what he has time for? He has time for his father and he has time for people. Jesus is always interrupted. And he has time. Because he's not hurried. He's not restless. He's at peace. And Jesus says, you can learn that way. You can experience that way, that that the responsibilities that you have, the things that are on your plate that, that are real and are yours and yours to carry, you can learn to carry them in a different way where you can remain restful, unhurried. John Mycoma, in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, Jesus' invitation to take up his yoke, to travel through life at his side, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease. He's calling us to step out of the burnout society to a life of soul rest. Now, I don't do this often here, but the message paraphrase is actually really cool. Okay, We, we don't do it because we don't see it as a, as a genuine... It's a paraphrase, okay? So... <laughs> Come talk to me later. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase. I think it is helpful. He says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And listen to this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Great line. Learn them. The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I think this is the last piece. We need to recalibrate. We need to relearn. And then we need to reconnect. Taking a day off And ceasing from work is great. It'll do your body good. It'll do your mind good. It'll do your emotions good. But if you don't connect that day and you don't connect the times of your life when you're rhythming rest to God, it'll be short-lived. You all know this because every time you go on a holiday, it feels great and then you have to come back and work. And on that first day, like I love coming back from my holiday because then I've got 7,000 emails to catch up on and now I'm like overwhelmed within 30 seconds. I open up that... Oh, you know, I just, and so even when we're going away, we know that the going away has a cost to it that's going to come back later. And so often what we do is we don't cease from working. We work for our holiday. We work for our weekends because we know the cost. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah, there's a few people who are honest with me. But what we need to do is reconnect to Jesus. Because what we need is a deep rest, a soul rest, something that's greater than simply having a day of ceasing or a a weekend off. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. 
Spurgeon notes here that there are two elements of rest in this passage. Number one, there's peace with God. Come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden. It's resting from laboring, from carrying a burden. In other words, Jesus wants to take something off you. Okay? He wants to free you from carrying things that you and I shouldn't carry. I'm a father. I carry things. I worry about my kids. I worry about what's going to happen in their lives. I worry about their faith. I worry about their future partners. I worry about all sorts of things. These things come into my mind. And there are times when it can be overwhelming and God just says, hey, bring that anxiety, bring that worry, bring that stress, bring it to me. Let me take it off you because I am the God who you need. I am the God of peace. And so some of us in the room, God wants to take striving away from you. God wants to take the fear that you have that if you don't do that thing and give it the the amount of time it needs, that you worry that you won't have the job, that you won't get the degree, you won't get the life that you think. See, to, to rest, to take a day off, is faith. It is to say, I can't provide everything I need to provide for my life. My heavenly Father will, and so I'm going to trust Him. I remember some years ago, we were in Jono and Kylie's life group, and for some reason... So many people in that life group lost their jobs. In one year, it was just one person after another. It was just constant. It was, it was unbelievable. It's like, if you want to lose your job, join the group. <laughs> but then it also became, but if you want God to provide you with a new job that's actually better than what you thought you were going to have, come join the group. Because we would start to pray, and we would fast for each other and pray for each other, and we would ask, we'd say, God, please, as our Heavenly Father, provide for the needs. And once after another, after another, God would provide the job that they needed. It was the hours that they needed. It was everything that they needed. God would just keep providing. This is what Jesus is saying. Let, let, me, let me take all the weight. Let me take all the pressure off of you and let me be your God who provides. And I can tell you, I've seen this time and time again. But it's not simply peace from God. It's the peace of God. Take that that yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Oh. Some of you in the room, you you think God doesn't care about you, or you think he's harsh and he's disappointed in you. You need to hear this verse. Come to me, because I'm gentle, lowly, accessible. I am with you, for you, and near you. And so today, if you are tired, if you're burdened, if you're weary and exhausted, if, if marriage isn't going the way that you wanted it to, if life's not going the way that you wanted to, come to Jesus. This is not a rest from, it's a rest in. Jesus puts something on us. And so like God, we can again begin to work from a place of restfulness, contentment, not looking for the more, the greater, the better, but working for Him. So we work hard and we rest hard. We go, you know what? God's saying this is how I should live my life, so I'm going to do that, but sorry, I'm not doing that. Some of us, we, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to say no. And we feel the pressure of the workspace and the boss and the employer who's putting more and more on us. And at times, we need to say, you know what? I can't do that. And I'm going to trust God that God 
will make me more productive and I'm not going to have to lose my job because of that. I'm going to make a stand. I'll give you an example of one guy that I met. He headed up Apple in Canada. And I got to have lunch with this guy, just random chance, knew some people who knew him. Anyway, and we're talking to him, he's a Christian fella, talking to him about what it's like to work for Apple. And he said the first year that he worked, he was doing like 80 hours, just working crazy. It was affecting his marriage, affecting his relationships, affecting his health. And then he kind of came back to the way of Jesus and he started to see, hey, you know what? This is a big company. I headed up over an entire country. They are going to keep demanding more of me and they're going to tell me that they pay me this amount of money, therefore they expect this. But at some point, I'm going to have to say no. And so he started... I don't know how he did this, but at some point he started going, okay, at five o'clock I leave and I go home. And the whole office, he, he said, would just look at him and go, where are you going? He's like, I'm going home to be with my wife and to be with my children and I'll see you back here tomorrow when I'll pick up that work again and I'll do it. And he changed the entire workplace of Apple Canada, their head office. He started saying, and, and because I'm doing it, you can do it. And so all of a sudden, all of these people started going home and being with their families. Guess what happened? They became more joyful people, more restful people. They became more productive people. So Apple started to say, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we're, we're going home. We're doing less, less hours, but we're actually getting more done because we are rested, we're filled up, and now we work from a place of fullness rather than emptiness. The way that we were currently doing is we're driving everybody crazy, everybody's on empty, and then we're asking them for more. And they've got nothing left to give. They hate their job. They hate their lives. And he created an entire new culture. I was like, that's Apple. I work at LCC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you work where you work. There, there are ways in which we can live, but we'll only do that if we have the peace of God. Because we will be filled with fear and anxiety that says, well, I can't do that. And I want to encourage you today. Yes, you can. You need to work out that for yourself and what that looks like for you. You younger people who are going through uni, this is going to be the rest of your life that you're going to fight for. It's how do I live in a pace which allows and makes room so that I can be with God and have time for people? Because that's what it means to be human. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.